If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is VEASAN's College Basketball Betting Podcast. Here is your host, Tim Murray. Welcome in. It is the VEASAN College Basketball Podcast. Happy to be with you. I'm Jeff Parles. Wild Friday night it was. Set up the Sunday games in the NCAA tournament. Round of 32 action across the land. Of course, historic upset on Friday night. Fairleigh Dickinson, the 16th seed in the East, KOing number one seed Purdue. Second time that's happened in NCAA tournament history. We'll get to their matchup against Florida Atlantic as we go through this, but we're going to get going and we're going to go in the order of Vegas rotation numbers here. And we're going to start out with action in Albany, New York, as the Yukon Huskies will take on five seed St. Mary's. This is the West region four versus five Yukon handling Iona in the second half after a shaky first half on Friday afternoon, UConn winning by 24, covering easily as a nine and a half point favorite, 87 to 63. Connecticut just steamrolling the Gales in the second half, 50 to 24, and really just a huge effort by the big fellas for Ohio, for UConn, including Sonogo, over 20 points yet again for Sonogo, 28 and 13, just dominating the Iona front. UConn shooting 48% from the field and 44% from three in route 
to a blowout victory over Rick Pitino's Gales. It looks like it's going to be the final game. As head coach of Iona for Rick Pitino's, it looks like he is heading to Queens to coach St. John's next year. St. Mary's, you know, wasn't overly impressive against VCU, but they did what they had to do. A nice put away over the last seven or so minutes. A 63-51 win as four-point favorites against the Rams. The Gales, after that dreadful performance in Vegas against Gonzaga, with a really solid second-half performance after really struggling to score the ball in the first half. And they got no points out of their best player, Aiden Mahaney. And they still find a way to beat VCU by 12, 63-51 on Friday afternoon in Albany. This is, again, Vegas rotation numbers, 837 and 838. UConn is a three-and-a-half-point favorite against St. Mary's. Total 129-and-a-half. Look, we are talking about two very good metric defensive teams in the country. Both top 20 defenses. St. Mary's, a very efficient offense. UConn, again, has been a darling for the analytics community and everyone at large this year. I am just curious to see. This is going to come down to the matchup of the big guys more so than the matchup of the guards. Mahaney's not going to have another bagel like he did against VCU. And if he has another bagel against UConn, St. Mary's is going to get run out of the gym. But I'm curious to see how Saxon, Bowen, and Jefferson, the bigs, really Bowen and Saxon, who both played 38 minutes in the game against VCU. Really, it was Saxon, Bowen, Dukas, and Johnson. They all played over 38 minutes. Dukas and Johnson played 40. Mahaney was in foul trouble. He only played 18 minutes. Part of the reason he had that goose egg against VCU. I am just curious to see. Because UConn is two excellent big guys, as we know. Sonogo coming off that monster game against Iona. And then Klingon, who has really been a good player and at, at times has been better than Sonogo in the front court for UConn. I am just curious to see if the horses up front for St. Mary's are able to keep, keep themselves in the game against the elite front court of UConn. If they're able to, St. Mary's is going to have a real shot to pull this five over four upset and the short three and a half point upset here. Again, look, UConn is immensely talented. They turned the ball over nine times against Iona, which if you knew that number going in, you would have said that's an easy bet on UConn against Iona. I am very curious to see how they protect the ball against St. Mary's, the team, and it doesn't force a ton of turnovers. They just play rock-solid defense the whole way through. This number feels right at one, at three and a half on the UConn Huskies, 129 and a half. That total look, it all depends on how this game is played. If it's played at St. Mary's pace, this will be an under game. It would not shock me if this ends up in the 130s, though. So that is a really sharp total. I have no play on that total. But this was a really intriguing matchup in Albany. Again, the winner of this one will go to the West region, played in Las Vegas next week. UConn and St. Mary's, that is a 610 Eastern tip. Vegas rotation number 837 and 839. Also in Albany, we're going in Vegas rotation number order here instead of game order, just so you're all aware. 840 approximate tip between the four and the five in the Midwest region, Indiana and Miami. We'll start on the Indiana side. That was the final game of the night on Friday night as they really handled Kent State, who I thought Kent State had a real shot 
to win that game. And Indiana was just better all the way through. 71-60, the final score. It really wasn't even that close. I would say the final score is not quite indicative. That was really about a 16-point game most of the way in the second half. Trace Jackson Davis was awesome. 11, five assists, five blocks. Race Thompson at 20 points as well. You're probably not going to get that offensive production out of Race Thompson against Miami. The Canes were very fortunate to beat Drake. Drake gets outscored 16 to 1 over the last six minutes of the game. The Canes win at 63 56, covering all numbers, close to an half point favorites. Easy under in this game as well. They were really bailed out by Nigel Pack because Isaiah Wong had a dreadful game. Wong had five points. And was 1-10 from the field. But Nigel Pack bailed him out. 7-15 from the field, 21 points. Four four, uh, rebounds, two steals for Pack. And in the end, I think Omir playing made the difference. Omir at 12-14. He got injured, of course, in the ACC tournament. We didn't know what he was going to be exactly. But a good win for Miami against Drake. Again, the 12 seeds in this NCAA tournament. In an NCAA tournament that featured a 16-over-1 and a 15-over-2, the 12 seeds, again, historically great in the NCAA tournament, just for the eighth time in 38 years, the 12 seeds go 0-4 in the NCAA tournament. A little bit surprising, especially with how strong those 12 seeds looked on paper going in to the NCAA tournament. Here's the line for this game. Indiana's currently a one-point favorite. 147. This is going to come down to guard play of Miami. Because Indiana's guards, I don't think, are overly impressive. They're good, solid guards. But when Pack and Wong are right, they can be one of the best tandems in the country. Now, Wong was not right on Friday night, but it didn't matter because his backcourt mate and his teammates bailed him out. But if, if you're going to have a, a shooting performance where Isaiah Wong makes one field goal, Miami's going to have a very rough time staying in against Indiana. Now, I will say this. Miami, much better defensively against Drake than we saw all regular season. One of, one of, for an elite team, one of the worst defensive teams in the country. But Miami, I think, has found their defense a little bit tighter, though, remember, in these NCAA tournament games. The one thing that I'm curious, though, as well, Teams will shoot better in the second game of the venue. I wonder if Miami shoots better in this game. This is a lean to Miami. Plus the one on the Canes. That's what I had in my bracket. I had them over Kent State. I do like them to advance to the Midwest region semifinal in Kansas City. Uh, take on uh, the winner of Houston and Auburn. But again, this is a really, you're, this is the theme in Sunday. These games are very tightly lined especially not involving the 16th seed, fairly Dickinson. Very tightly lined games for this Sunday slate in the NCAA tournament. Let's go to another tightly lined game here. And these games are in Columbus. Again, we're going in Vegas rotation number order. Michigan State Marquette, the two versus the seven in the East region. Marquette, a three-point favorite against Michigan State in this one, 142 to total. This is going to be a 515 Eastern tip on Sunday evening in the East Coast and in Columbus. Looking at Michigan State against USC, really a methodical performance by the Spartans. Nothing overwhelming. 
just really taking advantage of a USC team that was a real big underachiever this year based off the amount of talent that they had. Good day for Joey Hauser at 17 points. Michigan State did struggle at the free throw line, putting this game on ice. USC just couldn't make shots when Michigan State was missing free throws down the stretch. 15 to 25 from the line. That is something to look at and potentially worry about moving forward, especially, again, we've seen collapses for Michigan State this year. Collapsed against Gonzaga on the aircraft carrier earlier in the year. Collapsed in that game against Iowa, the worst beat of all time, basically. If you had Michigan State in that one blowing that 13-point lead in the last minute 40 and then not covering in overtime. Marquette was a little bit sluggish for a part of the game against the Ver- Vermont Catamounts. Marquette closed only a 10-point favorite as a two-seed, which you know just don't see very often. They cover pretty easily, 78-61 against the Catamounts, who were pretty well overmatched when it was all said and done. Balanced scoring, once again, for Marquette. Not much of a surprise there. It's kind of the way they've done it all year. Uh, it, didn't, it wasn't even a big Kolick game. Kolick only had eight in this one, and he had, hurt his wrist early in the game but was able to come back and be effective. Cam Jones, the big game for Marquette, the leading scorer, 19 points. This Marquette team is just so well-balanced. And again, it's weird for me with this Marquette team. Marquette team, a two-seed, two regular season and postseason Big East champions. I think they're a good basketball team. I don't think they're a great basketball team, but with the loss of Purdue, with Purdue losing, this is now for the taking for the Golden Eagles. This is now for the taking for anyone in that East region with number one seed Purdue out. Even fairly Dickinson and FAU, who we'll get to in a, in, a, in a few moments here. Again, this is a three-point line. This is a very tightly lined 2-7 game, as tight as you're probably going to get. This is truly going to come down to the guard play again. And I look, I know it's cliched. We know how it is in March. Oh, of course it's going to come down to to guard play. Of course it's going to come down to that. We know that, Jeff. But in the end here, you look at the way that Marquette plays. And you look at Marquette, sixth in offensive efficiency, 46th in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Michigan State much more balanced, 39th and 38th, respectively. But in the end here, the better guards are on the Golden Eagles. And I like Marquette if I'm going to only have to lay a short three like that because the guards of Marquette are going to lead the way here and get the Golden Eagles into the Sweet 16 in Madison Square Garden. Again, I know the Izzo factor, but he's not the same coach as he was 15 years ago. Marquette advances. That is a play for me on the Golden Eagles. Lane three, and again, a wide open East region now with Purdue out. Of course, the historic upset on Friday night. And hey, let's get to the Knights of Fairleigh Dickinson. Shout out Teaneck, New Jersey. Why don't you? This is again, this is in Columbus, Ohio. Vegas rotation number 843 and 844. This is going to be on True TV if you're going to watch it. 745 Eastern time between the 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson and the 9 seed Florida Atlantic. As we all drew it up back in November when the season started, that we'd have a spot on the line for the Sweet 16 between FDU and FAU. Uh, let's start. We'll, we'll get to the, the darling in a second. I want to start with FAU in Memphis, which was really just a wackadoo, wackadoo game. 
the last seven minutes of that game were just bizarre because both teams couldn't make a shot for about five minutes. Then they couldn't miss. And then at the end, do a, a humongous turnover at the end of the game sets up a jump ball, held ball that very easily could have been called a Memphis timeout with Memphis up 65-64. The refs say it's a jump. Possession arrow went to FAU. And FAU just found a way in the end, getting a bucket at the end from Davis. And FAU beats Memphis as a two-point underdog, 66-65. And Dusty May's team is 32-3. and This team just does not lose. And now you get the darling of all darlings, the 16 seed. The second 16 seed ever to make it out of round one. 12 and a half point favorites, the Owls of FAU are. Totals 149 and a half. Now, the one thing that made FAU, Florida Atlantic, unique during the regular season is they were able to beat you in multiple ways. They were able to beat you in a game that was fast. They were able to beat you in a game that was slow. They were able to beat you in a game that was offensively centric, and they can beat you defensively centric. They won a defensively centric game against Memphis. Memphis team that is immensely talented and is always immensely talented. And in the end, the better coach won that game. Dusty Mays, a better coach than Betty Hardaway. The better coach team won the game by one. Fairly Dickinson here. Hooking at FDU. Again, the last time we saw a 16 seed playing around at 32 was, of course, in the 2018 tournament where UMBC, we know, shocked the world and beat Virginia in that first round. We won that game by 20. And then UMBC and Kansas State played quite possibly the ugliest game of the whole tournament that year. K-State survived 50-43. to 43. UMBC struggled to shoot the ball in that game. Part of the reason that UMBC lost that game is because they shot 29% from the field. If they had just shot 35%, they might have beat K-State that day and had a shot at Kentucky in the Sweet 16. Remember, of course, Kansas State ended up making the Elite Eight and losing to Loyola Chicago in the ultimate busted bracket in that South region back in 2018. I am just, look, Fairly Dickinson's path here is ridiculous. You win, you get to the NCAA tournament by a technicality. Merrimack won the NEC tournament. Fairly Dickinson was the runner-up, but Merrimack ineligible because they're in the final year to transition from D2 to D1. FDU just pummels Texas Southern and Dayton. And then you get a one seed with a seven foot four, probable Naismith Award winner behemoth in Zach Eady. They did, all things considered, a reasonable job on Eady. Only getting 11 field goal attempts is pretty darn good. Eady at 21 and 15, he's going to get his. But the thing that happened in that game more than anything is that Fairly Dickinson's guards. So much better than Purdue's guards, who were all Smith, Newman, Lawyer. Taylor's not a guard, but key player, Jenkins. They were all dreadful. The concern about Purdue all year is their guard play is not good enough to go deep in March. And it reared its ugly head in the worst possible way at the worst possible time in the most embarrassing circumstance you can get. Purdue with that loss, by the way, has now lost three consecutive tournaments. Their exits have come to 13 seed in North Texas in 2021, 
15 seed St. Peter's, as we know, last year in the Sweet 16, and now 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson in round one. The only the second one seed to ever lose to a 16. I don't know how Matt Painter recovers from this. I don't think there is recovery. But looking at this game between FAU and FDU, 12 and a half feels steep. But I am concerned about Fairleigh Dickinson putting together a third consecutive great effort in a short period of time. Remember, we've seen this from 11 seeds, 12 seeds. We've seen this from at-large teams, teams that were inconsistent during the regular season, teams that had potential to really make runs, maybe. We've never seen this from a play in 16. This is the first play in 16 to win a tournament game. UMBC was put right in the bracket that year in 2018. I don't know if FDU is going to have enough energy. And the way FAU won, where they won ugly against Memphis, I think that bodes well for Florida Atlantic finding a way to win this game and probably in the end winning this game comfortably against FDU. Again, going into this tournament, FDU's Ken Palm rating was in the 300s. Okay? They were in the 300s beginning this tournament. Two games in this tournament, and they're now all the way up to 275. This is not a good basketball team. That's what they're that's what they were in the regular season. They were a bad basketball team that has just caught lightning in a bottle. Unbelievably well coached. There's no arguing that after watching that game on Friday night. But lightning's gonna not gonna strike a third time, and the clock's gonna hit midnight. FAU advances. I don't think I'm going to lay the 12 and a half, but I will think long and hard about it, especially if FDU gets bet. We'll probably come back on the side of the Owls when this is all said and done. Again, this is prime time late night on Sunday night in Columbus, Ohio. Winner this one will go to MSG in the East region, top of the bracket for that one. Let's move along here to the games in Greensboro, North Carolina. This is actually the first game of the day on Sunday, 12-15 Eastern time. This is a Midwest regional game. The three-seed Xavier taking on the 11-seed Pitt Panthers. Pitt has won two games in this tournament. They survived Mississippi State, and then they hold Iowa State 41 points in round two. An very impressive defensive performance for a team that was not known for their defense during the regular season. 59-41. It wasn't like Pitt was good offensively either, but they just held the Cyclones down all the way through. Cyclones had multiple seven-minute droughts in that one. And then Xavier, who kicked off Friday morning on the West Coast, Friday afternoon everywhere else, with an epic scare. Was very lucky to win that game against Kennesaw State. Doesn't, they don't come close to covering. And Xavier survived 72 67, beating the Owls of Kennesaw State. Jack Nungie with a humongous defensive play at the, ga- at the end of the game to block what would have been a go ahead layup for Kennesaw State. But in the end, Nungie makes the big play. Xavier survives thanks to a an amazing effort by Jerome Hunter, of all people. Hunter averaged only seven points a game in the regular season with a 24-point outburst 
to really bail out Xavier and keep him in the game before Soleil Boom was able to take the game over late offensively. But the Musketeers were really lucky to win that game against Kennesaw State. Very, very lucky. They're a five-point favorite against Pitt. This is the highest total on the board. Excuse me, second highest total on the board. 153. With the way that Pitt has played two straight grinders, the angle that I'm looking at in this game is that total over 153. We're talking about two teams that like to run. We're talking about two teams that aren't particularly good defensively. And in the end here, where Pitt has played back-to-back grinded-out unders and really super under against Iowa State, where he barely even got to 100 points, this feels like a regression to the mean to the positive for Pitt's offense. And Xavier, who did not have their best up offensively against Kennesaw State, they're going to be able to score against Pitt. This feels like a very high-scoring game. Played in the, I think it's played in the 160s. 153, I do like that over. I'm curious to see how that is bet over the next ne- next few hours before we get the tip time again. That's a 12-15 Eastern, first game of the day in Greensboro. Vegas rotation number 845 and 846 between Pitt and Xavier. Again, you are dealing with two really good offenses and two not-so-good defenses. That's why I have a 153, and that's still why I would go over. Again, Xavier is eighth in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Pitt is 27th. Pitt is 108th in defense. Xavier is 72nd. Light it up. Light up that scoreboard in Greensboro. I like over 153 between Pitt and Xavier. Let's go to the East region, the second game of the day, uh, half hour after Pitt and Xavier ends, so roughly 245 in Greensboro. Kentucky and Kansas State. Now, Battle of the Wildcats, last time met in the tournament, was actually in the Sweet 16 after K-State beat UMBC, and K-State won that game. That was not a good K-State team that ended up making it to the Elite Eight, Thank in part thanks to the disaster for Virginia that day against UMBC. But this is a really intriguing matchup between Kentucky, who is immensely talented, as we know, and big look, very methodical performance. Team was never really in doubt once they grabbed that seven-point halftime lead. Very ugly second half with only 45 points where no one could buy a bucket between Kentucky and Providence. 61-53. Shibway only scored eight points, but he had 25 rebounds and three steals and two blocks. That's putting your imprint on a game even without scoring the basketball. What a day for Reeves. Antonio Reeves at 22. That was the big one for Kentucky, and Jacob Toppin poured an 18 against Providence. I had Kentucky in my Elite Eight. I think Kentucky's immensely talented. Now, the interesting thing with this matchup, this is the way that Kansas State plays. K-State, by the way, a cover, a nice 77-65 win covered as a a 7.5-point favorite against 14-seed Montana State. Never really in doubt in the second half. I wonder if this is the matchup where Kansas State's lack of depth rears its, rears its head. Really only play seven guys. Keontae Johnson and Noel, in a game that was really never in doubt result-wise, had to play 38 and 37 minutes. And this is a quicker turnaround for, for these teams because these are the late session games flipping around for an earlier uh, tip time on Sunday afternoon. 
I am just worried about Kansas State's depth against Kentucky. Now, look, I don't I know Kentucky's depth has its question marks as well at times, but I just think Kentucky in the end, Ebley is able to dom I don't want to say dominate, but at least have the better of the Tomlin matchup in the post. And in the end, Kentucky's players are just better athletes. And that's no slight on K-State, who is very athletic, very talented, and one of the best stories in the country. There's a reason this is Kentucky minus one. There's a reason this is a coin flip. Minus, uh, 146.5 on the total, by the way, for this uh, game, 847 and 848 in rotation numbers in Nevada. I like Kentucky. I'm going to end up laying probably $1.20, $1.15 on the money line. We'll see where that closes. But in the end, I think Kentucky's experience with Shibway, and I know this will probably come off ridiculous to some, but I think coaching in the tournament does matter here. Where as much as I love Jerome Tang in year one, it's a different animal when you're in the tournament as a head coach for the first time. I think Cal's tournament experience actually will matter in this game. So I like Kentucky to advance in that bottom half. I have, Mar- I have Marquette playing Kentucky in that regional semifinal at MSG next Thursday night. Moving along we go here. Let's go to the final set of games here in Denver, Colorado. And these two games in Denver are really good. A pair of six threes will start in the South region, the first game in Denver, this is 7-10 Eastern time on Sunday. This is rotation number 8-4-9 and 8-5-0. Baylor and Creighton, and again, this is another one-point line. Baylor favored by one against the Blue Jays. Creighton, Creighton had their work cut out for him against NC State. They really had to work hard, but in the end, a really gritty cover. For Creighton, 72-63 to final in that win. They cover his five or five-and-a-half point favorites against NC State. It really just gave them all they could handle for a long time. Uh, Shireman really bailed them out in the end with a big bucket, but it was Kalkbrenner. Kalkbrenner's 31-7, and seven, the difference in the game. Comparison to DJ Burns with two points and four fouls. Kalkbrenner the better in that game. And I will say this with Baylor, who really just slept walked in that first half and then dominated Santa Barbara in the second half, 70, 74 to 56, a pretty routine cover in the end as 10 and a half point favorites for Baylor. I am just worried about Baylor's defense in this game. And look, this is not your, your recent year, typical Baylor team for Scott Drew. They are great offensively. They're number two in adjusted offense. Only Gonzaga is better than that. In Kemba. But Baylor's still bad on defense, even with a pretty good defensive performance against Santa Barbara. They're 98th in defense. Against Creighton, who is very good on offense, 29th, and actually even better on defense, 14th, according to Kemba. The way Baylor wins this game is if Keontae George is the best player in this game. Now, George was quiet in that he went against Santa Barbara, only at nine points. It was Cryer and Flagler did the work, 18 and 15, respectively, for Flagler and Cryer in that one against Santa Barbara. But they're going to need Keontae George to be a, a, a superstar in this game. If he is not, Creighton is more than good enough defensively to lock you down. And even though Baylor has multiple bodies to throw at Kalkbrenner, 
think Kalkbrenner has his way with those bo- those big bodies of Baylor. And in the end here, I created in the Final Four pre-tournament. There's no reason to back down from it here. I thought this was going to be the matchup. I think Creighton matches up very well with Baylor. The guard play of, of Creighton as well to match the experience. Again, two guys who were on that team that won the title for Baylor. Neb Harden, Alexander, up to the task. And Shireman as well. I like Creighton. Creighton and the Blue Jays get it done. And a big-time effort yet again for Greg McDermott's squad. They're going to be moving on to Louisville. I like Creighton. I'll take a point. If you get a plus money money line, maybe that. But I'd rather just take a point if the money line is minus 105, which is what it is at most spots. All right, final game. The round of 32 between TCU and Gonzaga. And this is the late tip. 940 is the earliest potential start time for that one. We'll get to TCU in a second. I just want to touch on Gonzaga. Gonzaga wins 82-70 against Grand Canyon. They don't cover the first half or the full game. They were up 24 in the second half. Gonzaga looks like themselves again. Because there were plenty of points in the year where Gonzaga looked like a very vulnerable team that would be a team you would look to fade in March. They don't look like that anymore. And if Strother's going to play like he did against Grand Canyon, Restrather with 28 points and 10 boards and didn't turn the ball over at all. He did foul out, which you don't want. But if he is able to play that well and not turn the ball over, Gonzaga is going to be a, a rough team to get out of this tournament for anyone. And look, Grand Canyon got theirs. Grand Canyon played a good first half. And then that big run in the second half really was what put that game on ice for Gonzaga. Uh Again, kind of a shame if you had Gonzaga full game spread. You probably should have gotten there, but you didn't when it was all said and done. Looking at TCU-Arizona State game for a second, where it's just another classic case of why you just can't trust Bobby Hurley. Arizona State was so clearly the right side in that game, and they were on the spread. They covered all spread numbers. But stated the better of play. And they only led by as much as 11, which is kind of crazy. Without Arizona State, really had the better to play for the majority of the game. But TCU just found a way. 26 from Mike Miles. Chuck O'Bannon Jr. at 15. And then the biggest play of the game was from Jacoby Coles. The game winner with under three seconds to go to get him into double figures and bail TCU out in a game where they only shot 35. If you look at this box score, Turnovers, which TCU, I'll give them credit, only turned it over five times against Arizona State. You look at the shooting percentages in this game, you're trying to figure out how Arizona State blew this game. Arizona State shot 48% from the field. TCU shot 35%. Arizona State shot 47% from three. TCU shot 35% from three. You don't win many games like that. TCU made eight more free throws, which is not a crazy disparity, but in the end, even though Arizona State shot better from three, they made they ended up making the same amount of threes as TCU. So TCU with a big time survival in that round one game. This is Gonzaga minus five, by the way. Rotation number in Vegas of eight five one and eight five two. Gonzaga five point favorite, biggest total on the board at one fifty seven. I expect pace in this game. 
pace. I expect this to be playing at Gonzaga's pace. I, TCU is not scared of playing at pace. Fourth. So this is going to be played at a very quick pace. And look, I'm not touching that total. It's a big number because TCU is good defensively. They're 23rd. Gonzaga, not particularly good. 75th on defense. TCU, 50th on offense. Gonzaga, number one on offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. This will, to me, again, this comes down to Gonzaga's guard play. As would, would this, what, this is what it is with this Gonzaga team. If Gonzaga's guard play good, Gonzaga will find a way to advance past TCU and make it a Las Vegas next week. But this is a really difficult matchup because this TCU team is tough. They have great guards, and they have the best guard in this game in Mike Miles Jr. But I do worry in this game because remember, no Lumpkin, they're big guy, no Lumpkin still. Wonder if they have enough horses to really handle Drew Timmy in the post. They very well may. If they do, then TCU is going to have a darn good chance of advancing into Las Vegas. I think when this is all said and done, Gonzaga wins. I'm not really comfortable of laying five, though. That should be the best. Those two games in Denver, those games are going to be awesome. Creighton and Baylor, TCU, and Gonzaga as your nightcaps on the Sunday edition of the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. Hope you caught something from this one. Really looking forward to the slate of games in the round of 32 on Sunday. I'm Jeff Parles. Again, this has been the VEASAN College Basketball Podcast. Make sure to tune in next week. Tim Murray and company are back previewing the Sweet 16 on this podcast, wherever you listen to your pods. And as always, check out VEASAN.com for the best in sports betting content. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.